Tell him to turn my microphone on right as I have to cough. That was called poor planning. We'll see if that works. Okay. Well, let's, uh, I don't see anyone else coming in. Let's go ahead and get started. We'll open with a word of prayer and then jump into lesson five, the Holy Spirit and the believer. And I think tonight is going to be really important for us to know because this is what the Holy Spirit does to you as a believer and what we can count on uh, with him. So let's go to to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are thankful that uh, you are our God and that uh, we can come to you. Father, that you desire to dwell within us and that, uh, Lord, you have sent your Spirit in confirmation that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to meet all of your requirements. And uh, your Holy Spirit now comes and moves among us and in us, dwelling within us. Father, teach us tonight what we can expect and what you have done and uh, the power that we have uh, through you. So would you teach us, uh, open your word, open your truth to us in new ways, in exciting ways, uh, and that we would leave here different than when we came in. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Jim Cimbala has a... How many of you are familiar with Jim Cimbala? Uh, Pastor of the uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle. (laughs) Okay, Mormon Tabernacle is about to roll right off my my lips. I knew that wasn't right. So the Brooklyn Tabernacle, um, Jim Cimbala, he wrote Fresh Wind, Fresh uh, Fire, Fresh Faith, Fresh Power, um, is his ministry really is a ministry of prayer. And uh, huge, I mean, their, their main service at their church is the Tuesday night prayer service, so the midweek prayer service, is more well-attended, more planned out, more into than the Sunday morning uh, outreach service. <clears throat> he has a new uh, series out called When God's Spirit Moves. And... Uh, you, you have to wait about six weeks if your small group wants to use it because my small group's starting it tonight. So you have to wait till we're done. But he says in there that when a, when a non-believer confesses Jesus, okay, a non-believer and they confess Jesus and places faith in the truth claims of God, at that mer- very moment, Jim Cimbala says, everything changes. I'm not sure that the early apostles would recognize what we call Christianity Because everything we read about for them centers around his power, his energy, his work. The Holy Spirit was central to everything the early church did. To all of their teaching, to all of their thinking, to all of their actions. The Holy Spirit was in the center of it all. And we've even said that, you know, today our focus has gotten off the Holy Spirit. That's probably the least known of of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that we know less about the Holy Spirit than we do the other two. And for the, for the, uh, the early church, that wasn't the case. They, they really, they, they had to understand the Holy Spirit. He was the one that Jesus promised that would come and enable them and empower them to accomplish all that they needed to accomplish. Uh, and so <clears throat> we tend to look for, for an external guide. They understood that that this Holy Spirit was living within them and was guiding them from within. And today, we're, we, because we have kind of become lackadaisical in our study of the Spirit and in our understanding of the Spirit and therefore in our dependence upon the Spirit, we have put all of that focus into, I think, external guides as our primary source of living the Christian life. We, we want somebody to tell me what to do. Tell me what I should do. Tell me what God's will is. Tell me where I, how should, what should I think? What should I do now? How should I do this? How should I do that? My marriage is a little str- struggling here. Pastor, what should I do? You know, my, my kids are, I'm having trouble, you know, parenting. What should I do? Well, have you prayed yet? You know, that, well, yeah, but what, what should I do? <laughs> have you listened after you've prayed, have you, have, you know, because we've just lost that ability to hear the inward voice. We've lost that ability to, to understand who this is that is trying desperately to give us the answers inside. And so we look outside. People, while it is important to, to look that, people should be our secondary guide, 
not our primary guide. Go to people, seek confirmation in what you think you are hearing, what you think the Spirit is telling you and guiding you. That's good, because if he's, if he's guiding you, he's probably going to be guiding others in that same direction or, or, or the, you know, speaking to them as well and, and moving in the same direction. I know when I come home with, a, with an idea, and I, I sit down with Sarah, and I said, hey, I got an idea. And I'll tell her what I'm thinking, and she looks at me and goes, are you nuts? Then I know maybe that wasn't from the Spirit. Because there's other times, not that my wife is, you know, in with the Spirit, just like that, that she's the one we should go to. She's the one I'd go to. But if the Spirit is leading me, he's going to be leading her too. Because there's also times when I'll go and say, okay, I've got an idea. What if we do? And she'll go, you know, I was thinking that too. I'm like, okay, we're in. That, that's, that's pretty good confirmation. Let's take the next step in that direction and let's, let's begin moving in that. Or she'll come to me and she'll say, you know, I was thinking, uh, you know, the other day when we talked about this, what if we, and I said, you know, I was thinking that the same thing. And so there's, there's confirmation in the spirit. So using people as a secondary guide is a good thing. But sometimes we've elevated people to that's the first place we go. And, and that can't be. Um, because that is why it was better for Jesus to leave the disciples. Because Jesus said, I have to go. Because if I go, I'm going to send another one to you. I'm going to send a counselor back to you. I'm going to send the paraclete, the advocate, the Holy Spirit back to you. And he's going to reside within you. So no longer do you have to come hunting for me. You know, early in the morning when you get up and you can't find me because I'm off at a solitary place praying... And, and, you, and you're looking for me and you've got answers. Of what are we going to do today? What do we need to do? I had this struggle. What do we, how do we handle that? Remember how you used to have to come hunt for me? You don't have to do that anymore. Because now the Holy Spirit's going to dwell within you. And so that divine is within you through the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're going to look tonight. That we want to get back to that to where he is the primary guide. He is the one that we are looking for. <laughs> looking to, that we are seeking out. Uh, when we have questions, when we have uh, uncertainty, when we have struggles, we're going to Him uh, to find answers. So in, the Holy Spirit really starts, as I said, at the moment a non-believer professes Christ, the moment that they confess their sins and accept by faith what Jesus has done, the Holy Spirit moves in. And so we want to start right there at the very beginning of the Christian life. What does the Holy Spirit do at that moment. Number one, regeneration. Regeneration. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Regeneration is that regenerating, recreating. Um, literally, the Holy Spirit recreates the believer brings him, uh, and that's, that's instantaneous, at that moment. This regeneration is not, a, not really a process, okay? At that moment, you are born again. You are, crea- you are a new creation at that moment. You may not feel like a new creation. You may not necessarily even act like a new creation. There will be something going on that you've sensed because the Holy Spirit has come in, um, but at the moment a person believes, Titus says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. A rebirth, a regeneration, a recreating of, of us. Uh, Wilmington's Guide to the Bible, one of the best purchases I ever made. It's about this thick. Uh, and the print's about this big, but it is chock full of information and scriptures and cross-referencing, and it's called Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. It says, Regeneration is that process whereby God, through a second birth, imparts to the believing sinner a new nature. Okay, now that's important for us to understand, that literally the Holy Spirit brings to us the nature of God, that he's redesigning us, he's recreating us, that our, that our fallen nature, okay, Adam and Eve, when they were created, were under the original design, they were created in the image of God. 
And so their nature was unfallen. Their nature was perfect. It was sinless. Adam and Eve in the garden, when they were created, were perfectly sinless. Hard for us to imagine. But two human beings walking on the earth, perfectly sinless. Okay? The moment they sinned, the moment they disobeyed God, that perfect nature, that God-like nature within them was fallen, was tainted, was broken, was cracked, was shattered, was stained. It was sin-filled at that point, at that moment. So what the Holy Spirit does is the moment that we, the, the moment that we accept or, or profess Christ as, as Savior is he comes in and brings back that original design. He brings back that, that God's image and places it within us. And with this new nature should come a new life. It's a new operating system. 1 John 2, 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right was, has been born from him. That now instead of our, <clears throat> our natural bent being to evil, to sin, our natural bent becomes toward good, towards righteousness, because we've been born of God. We've been recreated, uh, regenerated. 1 John 3, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now, stop, ponder, think. I just sinned this afternoon. Does that mean that I'm not? Because it says who is born of God will, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. They cannot go on sinning. The key word in that is continue. That when you habitually, intentionally disobey God over and over and you say, you know what, I don't care. I know it's wrong, I'm going to do it anyway. I know it's wrong, I'm going to do it anyway. That's living according to the fallen nature. Someone who can continually do that, who goes on doing that, you've got a question, are they born of God? Have they really been regenerated? Because their, their bent is still towards a life of sin to continue on the way they had continued on before. Otherwise, this is a person who lived this sort of life. They, they had this struggle, that struggle, whatever. This is what their life was like. They came to a point in their life where they said, you know what, that was wrong. I profess Christ as my Lord and Savior. And they go on and they don't make a darn change. Their life after looks exactly like their life did before. I've got a question. Was this moment, did it really ever happen? Was it real? Because if it was real, there would have been changes. The new nature would have started to take effect and started to change the way they thought, the way they acted, the way they talked. So if there's been no change, I've got to believe that in their nature, there has been no change. Okay? 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay, 1 John 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. There's a change. We now love better. We now love true, deeper. Okay? If you want to know, and, and now we're obeying God. We're obeying his commands because if we love him, if we've been born of God and we love God, then we're now working towards obedience, not disobedience. So there's a, there's a change. There's a recreation, a regeneration. 1 John 5, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Same idea as up in chapter 3. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We do nothing to earn this new nature, this new life. We don't do anything except say, I believe. And, and faith is not a meritorious work, meaning that if we have faith, then God will... You know, it's not a, if you do this, then I'll do that. Okay, we don't earn something by placing faith in God. It's we place faith and these things just happen because God promised that they would happen. We live to prove that it has happened. So our life from that point, we don't do anything to earn the regeneration. 
But we do a lot of stuff from that point on to show that it has occurred, to show that we have been regenerated, we've been recreated, we've been born again, um, <clears throat> is the phrase. So you are made a child of the king, and now you must live like one. Okay? And the Holy Spirit does all that. The Holy Spirit recreates us at that moment. Okay? Instantly. New nature. Now, the, the process, and we're going to talk about sanctification, that's in two weeks. That's the process of living out that regeneration. Happens instantly, but the changeover might take a little time to learn how to live with this new operating system. You ever got a new computer and you just wish that that key did the same thing with the new system that it did with the old system? And you have to learn a whole new system. Well, that's kind of the way it works. We've been given a new operating system. Our fallen nature has been recreated, regenerated. We've been given this new nature of God-like nature with the Holy Spirit in us. And now we have to learn how to live according to it, how to operate under the new system. That's sanctification. We'll talk about that in two weeks. Um, Number two, liberation. These notes are actually have come from my theology class in college. And my theology teacher, as I have mentioned him before, Dr. West, is a lover of nouns. And so everything that you wrote, if you ever made a list of anything, they had to be in noun form. So you're going to get nouns tonight um, is what you get. Liberation, regeneration. Romans 8, 2, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, there's, there's no condemning. The person who is in Christ Jesus will not be condemned for their sin. It's been wiped clean. We're a new operating system. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So we have been set free. We have been liberated from what? sin and not just acts of sin we've been from the law of sin from the operating system of sin we've been set free you don't have to work under that system anymore the holy spirit has come in and liberates you to where you can work off of this righteous system that no more he set you free from the law of sin and death that i don't have to be a slave to that fallen nature I don't have to be a slave to that sin anymore. The sin that I struggled with over and over and over and over and over and that I gave to God may still be somewhat of a struggle, but I know I have new power to say no. I've been given, and in some cases, I've been given complete freedom and the temptation's not even there. My mother-in-law was an incredible story of that. She had a lot of things in her life that she was a slave to prior to knowing Christ. And that list got real short almost instantly. That the desire for those things was just gone. Taken away completely. And I'm like, why doesn't that happen for me in this area, you know? But God gives us things. He allows those things. Why? Why do we still have that? Why, why Why is it sometimes sin in some areas? The Bible talks about a sin that so easily entangles. Why sometimes does God not just take that away? Because we'll learn from it. We become dependent on him in those areas. And so sometimes he takes it, sometimes he doesn't. But we have a new system that we are operating on that now gives us the power to overcome, and we have overcome the world, is what that verse said a little bit ago. If everything went absolutely smooth, would we seek it? Right. If everything went absolutely smooth, would we seek him? Would we still think we need him? No. And so there's reminders along the way. And again, this is that process of sanctification that we're going to talk about. Romans chapters 6, 7, and 8. Sometime this week, sit down and read those. And you say, you know, I've read those before. Sit down and read them again. All right? Read them again with this whole idea of being liberated of being set free from sin. Read it with that at the forefront of your mind. This idea of what the Holy Spirit has said. Let me read just a a quick 
Romans chapter 6. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall no longer be your master. Why? Because at that moment, instantaneously, you were regenerated and you were set free. You were recreated. You were given a new divine operating system that has given you power over sin, individual acts as well as that fallen nature, that while it might still be a struggle, you now have the possibility of winning. You never had that possibility before. You never had the possibility prior to Christ of overcoming any sin. Willpower won't do it. You can't just decide to overcome the sin nature. Talk to addicts. Without God, they usually just substitute that addiction for something else. Usually. That they may give up on the alcohol, they may give up on the drugs, but something else somewhere along the line will pop back up that controls them. Why? Because they've not been, if if they give it all to God, he can come in and can change that operating system to where now you have the power to, to defeat all of that and operate under God's laws. I don't know why I backed up so far, but I did. <laughs> Got to moving. Liberation. Number three, inhabitation. We talked about this a little bit, that the Holy Spirit actually comes and moves in. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You are no longer your own, and you don't want to be your own. You were your own prior to Christ. That wasn't working so well. You didn't have the power to overcome. You didn't have the power. The sin was still reigning in your bodies. Now, through regeneration, through liberation, through this inhabitation, you have the Holy Spirit reigning. And now that means that your body is not your own. It's God's to do with as he pleases. 2 Corinthians 6.16, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? What, what agreement can your body, can you, your mind, your heart, your soul, everything about you, now that it is inhabited by God, what agreement can you have? What partnership can you ever have with an idol? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work anymore. For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. That God lives within us, inhabiting us. He not only joins us to God's, but, but he joins God to us. Not only do we become a child of God, but, but you know, the, there's that idea that when I'm saved, now I'm a part of God's family. But the, the flip side of that is God now he joins us, us to God and God to us. That we're to be inseparable. That to see one is to see the other. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he prayed that that, that that incredible union of those two would be just as true for us in him. Meaning that if you've seen me, you've seen God. That's how it's supposed to work. That, that God is, is, is so free to live his life through me that you can understand who God is by watching this person that is filled, that is inhabited, that is overcome. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it's a struggle. Why is it a struggle? Because we've just been inhabited by a nature that we know little or nothing about. We're unfamiliar. This is new ground. This is unfamiliar territory. I could do the sin thing. That came naturally. That was easy. From the time I was born, I was sinful. Watch a baby. I want to eat now. Okay? That's like instantly out of the womb. Screaming. I'm just, I'm uh, uncomfortable. Wrap me in a warm blanket. If you won't, I will scream at the top of my lungs. Okay? That, that's selfish. That's, that's the sin nature alive and well. We perfect it and expect it as they get older. 
But, but now we have this new operating system that, that we know little or nothing about. And, and so he helps us navigate through this inhabitation, through living within us. He helps us navigate the nuances of God's nature within us. He helps us discover who God is and how we're now to live according to this new nature, according to this, this drastic instantaneous change that has happened from inside God now is going to, the Holy Spirit is going to start directing us through all the, the ins and the outs of that so that we can learn, okay, Romans 12, do not be conformed to the, this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then we're to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the process. That's the, that's the journey of becoming Christ-like. He works that from the inside out. Number four, Confirmation. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Where regeneration gives a believer his new nature, this confirmation or this adoption confirms our position of his child. That his Holy Spirit is is there to say, yes, you are a child of the King. Because Satan's going to do everything. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Satan's going to do everything. He's going to tempt you in every way. And he's going to constantly badger you that you are not a believer. You are not a child of God. Do you know why you're not a child of God? Because a child of God doesn't think the way you thought yesterday. Because a child of God never would have done what you did last night. He never would have thought that bad thing about the neighbor. You're not a child of God because of what you did, what you thought, what you, what you did prior to the regeneration. He'll bring back sins that, that you have long confessed, but he'll bring them back. And he'll say, a child of God doesn't do that. But it's the Spirit who confirms, yes, you are. You are forgiven. That's complete, that's total, that's instantaneous. You are a child of God. And when we begin to doubt it, when, when we begin to go, I don't know, am I saying, that's not from God. That is not the Holy Spirit having you question. That's straight from the enemy. Because the Holy Spirit confirms, not cast doubt. Number, whatever number we're on. Separation. Ephesians 1.13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Romans 8, 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. You are not in the realm of the flesh. At that moment, instantaneously, regeneration, liberation, inhabitation, confirmation, and now separation. You're separated from the world. You've been divided from the rest of the world. That if anyone is found to be in Christ, he is separate from those outside of Christ. That that we're to, again, that's part of that living different. No longer in the realm of the flesh, but now you're in the realm of the spirit. No longer are we living in the realm of sin and and depravity and and humanness and, and flesh and lust and worldliness. But now we've been separated, we've been transformed, we've been, been regenerated, recreated to live according to God, to live according to the divine, to the spiritual, to the sinlessness, to the Christ-likeness. That's now what we've been separated for, not that we've achieved any of that. Paul says, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I've achieved any of this, but I press on. I, I keep moving in that direction. The enemy's right there banging me all the time, but I'm pressing on, and I'm overcoming. We're separated from the world. We're not in it. We're in it. We're not of it. I about flipped that. Boy, that would have been dangerous. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're separate from the world. This world is no longer our home. This is not where I want to stay. I'll stay here as long as God wants me to stay until he's done with me. But, oh, glorious day when he says, your time's up. Come home. 
But we sometimes forget that. We get a little too attached to here. We get a little too attached to the stuff, to the people, to the things, to to the way life is, and I'm not ready to go yet. Really? Do you know what there is waiting for you there? And you want to trade all that for this? No, we're, we're separated. This isn't our home anymore. These things should not, should not hold us. The, for the things that this world offers us, to, to trade any of that in for what God offers us, that's a bad trade. That's a bad trade. No, we want the things of God. And so this separation is pulling us out. 1 John 3, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. <clears throat> We're different from the world. We know that. And we should be able to know that among, uh, with other people. The Holy Spirit separates us from the things of this world, from the realm of the flesh. And we're now to live in the realm of the Spirit. This is holiness. Okay, this, this is holiness, to be cut off, to be separated. That's what holiness really kind of means if you boil it all down. It means to cut off, to separate. There are three different spiritual conditions a person will find themselves in today. Everyone you meet will be in one of these three positions. Okay, so this is important. Because you can, you know, but look at their life and you'll know which category they're in. Number one, being in the flesh and living according to the flesh. Okay? 1 Corinthians 2.14. I don't know why I didn't print it out. 1 Corinthians 2.14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is a person who, who lives outside the realm of the Spirit, who lives outside of a relationship. They're living according to the flesh. They're living according to all of those uh, sinful desires that, that well up within them. They're living according to the world. This is the natural man. This is the sensual man. Okay? The unsaved man. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Being in the flesh, living according to the flesh. I wouldn't expect anything else out of them. I would expect them to steal, to rob me blind. I would expect them to get mad at me and want to punch me. I would expect them to, because that's the operating system they're living in. That's the realm that they operate in. And so we can expect that sort of stuff out of them. The danger is when we as believers begin to expect spiritual things from unspiritual people. When I expect my unsaved brother to act like a Christian, doesn't happen. And then I just get upset at him. Well, that's crazy. Why would he ever act like a Christian? He's going to act like he lives in the realm of the flesh. That's what we can expect. And so we need to understand who we're dealing with and what we can expect from them. And not to put undue pressure on them to behave in a way that they're not equipped to behave. Number two, being in the spirit but walking according to the flesh. Okay, this is a person who's in the spirit. Regeneration, liberation, inhabitation, confirmation, all those things have taken place. But somewhere along the line, some wires have gotten crossed and they're still living according to the flesh. This is the carnal Christian. Okay? Some live this way because they don't know any better. No one has ever come alongside them and discipled them. No one has ever come alongside them and and taught them uh, the things of God. And they're, they're struggling. They're just out there trying to figure it out. But they need that person to come alongside them who has the maturity, who, who has the growth, who has been living in this realm long enough that they've learned some things and says, you know what, I want to help you learn some things too as we're in this process together of becoming like Christ. So some people are living their, their spirit, they're in the spirit, but they're walking according to the flesh because they don't know. Others live this way just because they don't care. 
They're living according to the flesh because they think that they've got their fire insurance taken care of and I've accepted Christ and I had that moment with him and, and I, I, he saved me and now I can go do what I want. I'll be a better person. I'll try a little harder. But really, they're still living according to the flesh. Question is, is this second person saved? I don't know, not my call. Hallelujah. That's God's call. Because only God knows what it is in the spirit. He knows, he knows where they're at. He knows what has taken place. He knows whether the Holy Spirit has actually made that, trans, uh, that, that transition, that regeneration or not. I don't know that. I don't know I, because, one, it's hard, very hard for me to tell from looking at them, and I only have the outward to go on. I can't dig in and, and look at the inward. And so only God knows that. But there are examples uh, there are examples in the Bible of, of people that Paul called brothers, that he called brethren, that then described them as very carnal Christians. And, and I'm thinking Paul looked at them as saved, um, yet so as by fire or by the skin of their teeth or barely, or they need to grow or they're in danger of, of losing what they have. Um, but Romans eight twelve and 13 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And so while we still have breath, we need to make sure that we're not living according to the flesh, that we're putting to death those misdeeds of the body. That, that we are transitioning, that we are moving along. And we also have an obligation that if we come along a brother or a sister who is in the Spirit, but living according to the flesh... We need to point that out to them in love, okay? Because it's in their best interest that we come up alongside them and say, you know, I sense you're struggling in this area. Can I help? What can I do? Can I pray with you? Is it, how can I come along? What can we do? What can we, you know, and, and lovingly confront them with the lifestyle that's leading them towards death that is not in the spirit, but is according to the flesh. Now, the, the two examples that, that we have is the Corinthian church. If you read 1 Corinthians especially, that church was messed up, okay? There was very little good going on in that church. They were fighting. There were divisions among them. They were accepting immoral people into their fellowship. They were, I mean, it, it was a mess. And, and Paul laid it on the line with them. But he called them brothers, he said there, there is an element of spirit in them. They are believers, but man, are they, they're like, you know, this far away. And Paul was bound and determined to get in there and help them grow, help them get over that. They were very gift rich. They had a lot, the spiritual gifts were there. They had everything that they needed to, to be a, a vibrant, lively church but they were living according to the flesh. And so those gifts really were going to waste. Uh, they, they weren't being used properly. They, they misused some of them. And we're going to talk about spiritual gifts uh, the last week. But the Corinthian church was messed up. Uh, they were patterning their, their own lives after the pattern of the world. And Paul was coming in and confronting them on those issues and helping them grow to change that. The other one is the Hebrew Christians from the book of Hebrews. Um, they, they had frozen as baby Christians, okay? They had accepted the spirit, the regeneration, the liberation, the confirmation, all of those things. And they began to grow, but then they just stopped. They accepted that and they never grew in that. Their life never went beyond those baby stages. They never learned how to walk for themselves. They never learned how to think for themselves, you know, that's one of the things we, we encourage our kids is that you got to, at some point, you're going to have to start thinking for yourself. Mom and dad aren't going to always tell you what you need to do and what you don't need to do. And you're going to make mistakes along the way, and mom and dad love you in the midst of all of those mistakes. Because I made them too, and my mom and dad loved me in the midst of all those mistakes. But you need to learn how to think for yourself. You need to learn how to follow God. You need to learn how to hear the voice of God on your own. 
And not always running to mom and dad and saying, what should I do? What can I, what, can I do this? Do I do this? What do I, I don't know what to. See, the Hebrew Christians stopped right there. Baby Christians, they never moved to think for themselves and to move on. In fact, the, the writer of Hebrews says, we have much to say about this. Whatever topic it was they were talking about in Hebrews chapter 5. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to be you because you no longer try to understand. You're no longer grappling with the deep truths of God. You're just happy with, oh, I'm saved. I don't really care about what happens to the rest of my life or, or what happens to the lives of the people around me. I'm good with what I know. I don't need to go deeper. I don't really want deeper. Deeper sounds hard. That sounds like work. I don't want work. I want the Christian life to be easy. They were missing it. He says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Not only do you, are you not nearly as far along as you should be, we've got to go back and repeat kindergarten all over again. This is a fork. This is a spoon. This is how you use them. Okay, when you're dealing with a 20-year-old who hasn't been in a horrific accident, and you have to reteach them how to... Okay, had a kid in youth camp. I won't mention his name because sure enough, this is online and someone will listen to it and get back to him. Literally, you know what the kid used the spoon for? To put the... He, he scooped the corn up with the spoon and put it in his hand. That's how he ate every meal. I looked at it and I went... Are you nuts? You're 16 years old. Get rid of the hand. He's not married to this day. I can't imagine why. That wasn't normal. That wasn't normal teenage behavior. Normal teenage behavior was when we tried to eat the hamburger in one bite. That was normal teenage behavior. You know, a hamburger, who can do the one bite contest? And that's what we did. You had to cram the whole thing in and chew until it was gone and swallow without any of it coming back out, and then you would win. That's church camp at its finest right there. The girls were cheering us on. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You'd need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk Being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. You don't know the deeper things of God. And we're required. God commands us to know those things. Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. By constant use. It's hard work, folks. Christian life is hard work, but it's, it's constantly using, constantly learning, constantly digging deeper into God's word to understand it more fully so that we can better understand what good and what evil is so that we're not living according to evil but according to the good that's holiness that's separation that's the call we have in our life don't be infants anymore don't be babies anymore with your faith grow deep grow up number three being in the spirit and walking according to the spirit This is the spiritual person. This is the spirit-filled person. This is the normal Christian life. That being in the spirit, walking according to the flesh, while it might be the predominant life, it's not the normal life. Normal Christian life. This is what the spirit wants for every person. This is the Romans 8 life. Okay, when did I ever worry about time? You laugh. Romans 8. Listen to this. This is normal. This life that I'm about to describe for you, that I'm about to read for you, characteristics and description of, is normal. Mirror your own life with this. And let's just see where you are. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. We do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Your body is dead because of sin. But if the Spirit comes back in and regenerates you, it gives new life to your body. And now you live not according to the sin, but according to the righteousness. Because now there's a whole newness of life. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, of adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, or Father, or Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage of decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. As we wait eagerly for that final episode, that final recreation, when that recreation is done. And we are in the presence of God for all eternity, the presence of our Father, when that adoption is complete. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who is, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the Spirit, living according to the Spirit, that's normal. That's normal life. That's everyday wake up to life. It's the life we grow in, the life we need to be maturing in. And usually when, and we'll talk about that when we get to sanctification. Well, now, now that's, that's instantaneous. That happens at the moment. Okay? That, that's all part of that regeneration and that change that happens. And then you begin to see the change. What about the continuation of the Christian life? What about day two, three, four, five, six, and on to where we are right now? Number one, sanctification. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it simply because we're going to spend a whole week on it, a whole night. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We're saved through sanctification, through that. 1 Peter 1, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Remember what I told you? If you just read the names like you know what you're doing, no one questions whether you said it right or not. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Spirit sanctifies us, and that simply means to set apart. And we're going to look at that process. Because sanctification, while, while regeneration is instant, sanctification is a process. And we're going to look at that process in two weeks. Second thing, fortification fortifies us. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul prays for strength to the inner man, not the outward physical, but the inward spiritual. That that the, the Holy Spirit is going to strengthen us inward. He's going to give us guts, intestinal fortitude. He's going to give you the courage that you need to live the way you need to live. To live according to this new and not to go back to the old way of life. He's going to fortify us. That we need to walk differently, talk differently, live differently because of this new nature. And the Holy Spirit brings us that. Brings us the power and the ability to do that. Through the sanctification process. We have an obligation to grow. We have an obligation to develop that that spirit life within us. To develop the, the spirit's control of us. That, that, that it's that be being filled, that continual inhabitation. That every day we're to get rid of the old and bring on the new. Putting on the full armor of God each and every day. This new nature. Paul prays that your spirit, your new nature would become strong as you walk and talk and live in the spirit. Regulation is the next thing. Romans 8, 4, and so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. The Spirit-led life is that. It's regulated by the Spirit. Okay? You used to operate regulated by sin and desires. Okay? That's what used to regulate your life. That's what used to guide your life. Now the Spirit regulates. Now it is, is righteousness and holiness that drives us that moves us, that causes us to do things. We don't do things until the Spirit gives confirmation on moving ahead. Think in relationships. How we relate to one another is no longer driven by the human nature and selfishness and what I want and, you know, I'm going to be friends with you because what I can get from you. No, we're now driven by the Spirit, which is one of love and peace and comfort and giving. And so our relationships are now different because instead of worrying about what I'm going to get, I'm more worried about what I'm going to give. How can I love that person? How does that person need me to love them? I don't care if I ever get it back. That was the old self. This was over here. I'm going to love you so that I get this back. If I love you, then you'll love me. If you love me, usually it works the other way around. If you love me, I'll love you. You go first. And the minute that I think you're not or I don't feel loved, next, Uh uh-uh, new way of living. How can I love you? How can I pray for you? How can I take care of you? You know why I don't have to worry about me? 
God's going to take care of me. The Spirit's going to take care of me. How can I take care of you? How can I help and love you? Try that with your unsaved neighbor. See where that gets you. A lot farther than the other way will. The Spirit's going to regulate. The Spirit's going to regulate ministry. How can I serve? He's going to give me the gifts. We're going to talk about that. And then how can I use those gifts? How can I serve other people? How can I serve the unsaved? How can I serve the church? How can I serve God? With my life that he's given me, how can I serve? How can I use? He's going to regulate that. Next one, preparation. Luke 24, 49, I'm going to send you... I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God prepares us for what he calls us to do. And your life, even back here, in that realm of flesh, in that, that... grossness, that that sinfulness, that human nature, the things you did there that you're not proud of, God wants to redeem them on this side and use them. He's not going to waste anything that you did, as bad and evil and horrible as it might have been, or as just slightly bad as it might have been. He's not going to waste it. He's going to bring it over here and he's going to redeem it. He's preparing you for a ministry. He's preparing you for a life that's going to bring glory to him. And every aspect of that he will use. My wife always says, God doesn't waste anything. Every aspect of your life, every experience, life experience that you had, God is going to use. God is using you, is preparing you for something big and better. Because if we're growing in him, if we're getting deeper and deeper, if we're maturing, then there's, there's more out there. There's more to know. There's more to experience. And God is preparing us along the way for that more, to do incredible things through every one of us. Holy Spirit prepares us continually. Nothing is wasted. Next one, illumination. How many more do I got? One, two, three, four, five, six. We're going to go quick. Illumination. We've already talked about this. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Okay, we've talked a lot that, that when discussing the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures, that he's going to continue to let us see the, the way God does to see things, to illuminate, to to shed light on situations, that we can have discernment and that we can understand, see things the way God sees them, understand the way God sees them, and know how to act from that discernment, from that that understanding. Um, He's going to continue to to lead us into truth. Now, what is truth? (laughs) What is truth? Any... uh, Truth Project graduates out there want to take a stab at that? What is truth? God's word is truth, but I want a bigger definition than that. Anybody remember how Ravi Zacharias does it in the Truth Project? Here's what he says. Truth is that which affirms reality. Truth is that which affirms reality. The, Holy, the, the Scripture does that. Affirms what is real. Truth equals real. What is real. R.C. Sproul says, he adds one more thing to it. I didn't think anyone could ever say anything better than Robbie, but I think R.C. Sproul one-upped him on this one. R.C. Sproul says, truth is that which corresponds to reality as God sees it. Not as I see it because I still have this battle of old nature and learning how to operate under the new nature, and the way I see it might be slightly skewed by sinfulness, by humanness, by flesh, by not enough knowledge of truth. So truth is reality, what, what, what corresponds to reality the way God sees it. So God knows truth, okay? And so God is going, who better than to lead us into all truth but the Holy Spirit? And so he's going to light our way. He's going to lead us into all truth, into that growth process. Next one, separation for service. Every person has a call in their life. Every person has a ministry. Every person has an area of service. 
gifts that are given out as the Holy Spirit sees fit in order to serve. And it's important for us, whether we know our gifts or not, to serve. Because I think one of, the, one of the best ways, okay, let me not say best. One of the ways to discover what your gift is, is jump in. You know what? I've got, to, and it's usually going to fall along the lines of your passion. What, what passion and desires has God given you? You know, God has just given me a love for little kids. Hey, I just love to hold them. I love to, this isn't me. I just love, <laughs> not describing me at all. I, I want to rock them. I just, I love to smell them. This end, not this end. <laughs> if I can smell this end, it's time to go to someone else. You need to be in the nursery. That's your, that's your area of service. If that's your passion, give it a shot. Try it out. Take a step of faith. Because there's little kids in there that just need loved and hugged and held and smelled. Both ends. If you have a, a, a passion and a, and a desire and, and your life experience kind of has led you in this way, give it a shot. Try it. See where those gifts lie. See what God has enabled you to do. And we're going to talk more about this with, when we talk about spiritual gifts in a, in a few weeks. But we all have spiritual gifts. As believers, that's something that the Holy Spirit brings in when he moves in. He brings supernatural abilities to us. We, maybe we were good at it before, but man, with the Holy Spirit's power behind it, we are phenomenal at it now. And as we foster that gift, as we develop that gift, as we use that gift, we get better at it, and the Holy Spirit develops it, we can do amazing things. And when an entire body of believers comes together and they're all utilizing those gifts in accordance with one another and in accordance with as the Spirit leads, that body's unstoppable. That body's going to do things that, that, that's never been done before. Separates us for service. Supplication. That's the whole prayer idea, that he's going to pull alongside us. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. So that he's going to come along, and, and he's our connection with God through prayer. That, that, that the Holy Spirit helps us. He aids us. When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit just takes over for us on behalf of us to God through Jesus. Okay? Communication. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, and you know how we lived among you for your sake. There is communication. There, there are words back and forth between us and God. Prayer is a two-way street. That there's communication from God to us and from us to God. That's prayer. That's prayer life. That when we talk to God, if we're just bringing him a list of what we want and what we need and our concerns and how we're feeling, and then we walk away, God's going, I got the answers for all that if you just hang around for a little bit. And so we, we need to have, understand that, that, that prayer is that communication and the Holy Spirit enables us to communicate with God, to hear from him as well as speak to him, that there is interaction, there is communion, there's relationship. Have you ever been with a person that every conversation you had with them was one-sided? You couldn't get a word in edgewise. That they came up and and then walked away. And the best part of that whole conversation was when? When they walked away. <laughs> but we sometimes treat God that way. We're that person with God. We come in and, and walk away. We, we share our list. We, we, we tell him what we're thinking, what's on our hearts, and then we walk away. The Holy Spirit says, no, two ways. Let's, let's get in this whole relationship, communion, interaction, relationship. Next one, Revelation. You read it. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 to 14. That, that God is going to reveal, the Holy Spirit reveals things to us in ways that we, we never could have understood them on our own. That's what Revelation is. Revelation is, is the Holy Spirit revealing things to us that on our own we never could have known. 
we never would have figured out. And so as we have this interaction, as we have this communication, as we have this deepening relationship, as we are growing and maturing and in the Word, the Holy Spirit's going to reveal things to us that we need to know that we never would have known if it hadn't been for Him revealing it. We're not going to find it out on our own. So it's important that we're in the Word, that we're listening, that we're communicating, that we're in that relationship, learning from Him. Next one is actualization. Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The positive changes that are needed in our life are accomplished through the Spirit. Actualized, made real, made actual in the, in the Spirit. Made to happen by and through the Spirit. And we're going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. All of these things that, that should, should happen now. We should be people that are described as loving people. We're joyful people. We're peaceful people. We're kind we're good, we're faithful, we're gentle, we're self-controlled. We know that that self-control comes through the Holy Spirit. We're Holy Spirit-controlled. These positive changes are made real through the Holy Spirit. And the last thing is consummation. Consummation. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. That's the day we're waiting for. That's the day when either we go to be with the Lord or the Lord comes home, comes back here to take us home. We don't know the day nor the hour. We don't know the time, but we know it's out there, and that's our hope. That's why we're living in the Spirit according to the Spirit, because that day is out there, and we want to move closer and closer to that day. That we want to grow, we want to mature, we want to be ready for that day. And it's the Holy Spirit that's going to bring all of that about. Now, do you get the importance of the Holy Spirit in your life? He does all of those things. Every moment of every day. Some of it instantly, some of it on a continuing basis and a process. This week, I want you to go back over because we zipped right through all that, as we always do. I want you to go back over these sheets and take two or three things a day. And really begin praying through them. Really begin measuring your life. Asking the Spirit to, this is where I want to be. This is the direction I want to head. I want to be in the Spirit according to the Spirit. I don't want to be in the Spirit and live according to the flesh. In the Spirit according to the Spirit. And and use these as, as prayer times, as devotional times. And go back through this list of what He does at the beginning. And what He's going to do on a continual basis. And begin to grow in Him. Allow Him to mature you. Amen? That's my prayer for you. Go and do likewise. Remember, next week, Mark Cable is here. Um, Concert Sunday night. We will pick up the teaching time in two weeks. April, I don't know, 5, 6, 7, 8, whatever that day is.